I'm Ben, and I just became a gay uncle. I'm Tommy, and I've been Ben's gay uncle for 30 years. Are you ready for a double dose of gay uncle magic? Buckle up. Ask your gay uncle, 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 ask him all the questions that you have in your brain. Ask your gay uncle, you know that your uncle will do his very best to explain. He'll do his very best to explain. Episode 8. Listener questions, listener questions. Ask us your questions. Hi, this is Nicholas from Canada. I just wanted to ask what would be the ideal place to meet a guy for dating? You know, like when you go to clubs, it's not as easy because people usually are not looking for dates there. And apps are not always a good thing. It's better than a club, but it's not always easy. So what would be like the ideal place to meet a guy for dating? Thank you. Thanks for that question, Nicholas. What's the ideal place to meet a guy for dating? We actually got a similar question from Brendan in Long Island. Uh, Brendan doesn't drink, so he doesn't go to bars, but his friend said to check out Hinge or Match. So we're going to kind of answer both of you guys at the same time. Well, personally... <laughs> I have used apps for dating, and I've been successful and not successful. Uh, And to add insult to injury, COVID presents quite the challenge when you're single and trying to date. That's for sure. What do you think, Tommy? I've done the same. I've tried apps, and I don't have much success with them. I don't know if that's because of me and who I am or if because of where I live. But even, you know, when I lived in D.C. and when I lived in Wellington, you know, where there are more homos, I had less success. How did you meet Steve? Um, Steve, who you, who you were partnered with for seven years. Did I get that right? I didn't say dated did. for seven years. I said partnered with. I know. I gave you the evil eye. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good for you. You can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> I met Steve at a retreat center, basically for gay men. Oh, cool. He was there and I happened to be there. And this is really actually my answer to your question, Nicholas and Brendan, which is go to places where there are queer people. Totally. I mean, when I was more likely your age, I was in clubs, uh, like a gay men's knitting club or the under 30s club, a swimmers club. And there are all kinds of clubs that are out there that, you know, find something where you have a little bit of passion. And then that way you're going to have something that's shared. You'll meet somebody who's more in line with you totally totally it's funny you talk about clubs because when i first moved to la i was hoping to just like meet more gay people and someone told me about this west hollywood dodgeball league and a gay dodgeball league and i was like sure i'll, I'll go i went to this gay dodgeball league once and from that one time going i think i dated three different people that i had met there <laughs> wow so these things really do work um, and the purpose of this dodgeball league like wasn't for dating. It was just like, oh, you get put on a random team. I suck at dodgeball. I got hit with the ball. I barely got to play because I just kept going out. But then afterwards, all the teams go and they grab a drink somewhere. And you just get to like meet people that are adventurous and willing to try new things, just like you. And it's tricky because if you live in an area like where I live, there aren't any clubs like that. Yeah. What we have here is, I think it's called Rainbow Warriors or Rainbow Seniors. For seniors, 
And you know, I'm I'm just like, oh, I can't I can't join that yet. Aww. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> um, but really, actually, I do I do want to go just to meet the people because totally, you're not always going to find your true love or your next boyfriend, but you may find a really interesting person to hang out with. Yeah. Speaking of that, I know people have very mixed feelings about Grinder, but I have found some really amazing friends on Grinder. Uh, people that I've been in touch with for years. I also know some people that have fallen in love with people they met on Grinder and dated them for a long time and are still dating them. So, uh, you know, you can potentially find anything anywhere, but I did a little Instagram poll. Thank you, everybody who answered. I just said, what is the best dating app for actual dating? And the overwhelming winner was Hinge. I've never even heard of Hinge. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like one of the newer ones. So, huh. Nicholas, maybe you want to try Hinge. I have used in the past OkCupid and Tinder and found more success with OkCupid than Tinder. I think some of the swipingness of Tinder just gets a little too, like, spectatory, And it's like, oh, I wonder if they'll swipe me if I swipe them, which is just, it just becomes about something else. It sounds like both Nicholas and Brendan are interested in dates. Actual dating. Yeah. yeah. And so I would go where you're going to put up more information about who you are. And if you're putting up more information, then you're going to be able to see more information about who the other people are. And so to go to a place where there's a deeper sense of a profile, like at OkCupid, you like answer. I mean, you can answer a thousand questions. It's true. Yeah. And they'll recommend people to you based on your interests and your political views and your hobbies. It's actually kind of cool. OkCupid is also fascinating because... I sort of like nerded out on OkCupid one summer because I thought that just like as a company, their ethos was really fascinating. There's this whole like statistics and data section where they basically aggregate all this data of various profiles, various keywords, various pictures. And you can look based on the kind of data, what gets more clicks and what is oftentimes seen as more attractive or less attractive. It's really interesting. And they look at like, you know, words that people use more often, you know, those like word diagrams where like a word that happens more often is really big and a word that happens almost never is really tiny. They make those for like men and women and like by different races and by gay men and straight men and all that kind of stuff. And it's like fascinating looking at trends at what people say about themselves based on their demographic. It's so fascinating. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I totally geeked out about that. You know, one of the things for me that's interesting is to see who's on which dating app. I looked up a dating app called Zeusk. The people who were on there, they were not on Scruff. They weren't on OkCupid. I, I don't go on Grindr. Grindr's not good for me. Yeah. Yeah. So if one doesn't work for you, definitely switch it up. Try a new one. Yeah, because there might be different people there. It's like going to a party, right? You go to one party that one friend has, and then you go to another party, and then you go to the, you know, the gay bowling league, and there'll be a whole other set of people there. I got to say, if you're looking for dates on any dating app, you have to include a picture of your face. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to. And it's got to be current. Maybe if you're just looking for a one-night stand or something, you cannot include your face because it's just more about your torso or whatever you want to show. But you have to have your face if you want to go on a date. Otherwise, you're just not going to find somebody who wants to date you if you're not even willing to show your face to these people. Yeah. Um, another good option is ask a friend to set you up. Absolutely. I know people are scared of that sometimes, but... Why not? And at the very least, you might meet someone interesting. You might meet a friend. You might go on a date with someone and both of you might say, you know what? I don't think we're right for each other, but 
I know a guy that I think would really be into you, and vice versa. So you never know. Cast that net wider. Let's all help each other out. Yeah, have a party. Well, it's COVID. Let's not have a party. But let's oh, set people right. up and do socially distanced dating, like going on a hike or going on a bike ride or make a little picnic in the park. <laughs> you know, you can still date during COVID. You can still make it happen. Yeah, you can throw food at each other. That actually sounds kind of hot. <laughs> well, good luck, Nicholas and Brandon. Try as many different things as you can. Whichever works best for you, keep doing it. And I'm going to try Hinge. Yeah, good luck. Let us know how Hinge works for you, Tommy. I will. Are you kidding? You can, you can, that can be our gunkle to gunkle question next week. <laughs> next week, Tommy's like, I'm married. I met him on Hinge. He's perfect. He's perfect. His name is Nicholas. <laughs> Go ahead and ask your gay uncle. And we have a second question from Nicholas. Is it safe to subscribe or buy content at websites like OnlyFans? Uh, Wait, Ben, before you start, I don't even yeah. know what that is. So you got to tell me what that is. Okay. So remember when we were talking about porn and you were talking about amateur porn? Yeah. Only OnlyFans is kind of like the new version of amateur porn. And it kind of actually empowers the people who create it and the people who are in it. So imagine it's like, imagine it's like Instagram or like YouTube or something, but people pay to subscribe to you and you make your own content. So there are creators on OnlyFans, and I know that there's stuff that's non-sexual on OnlyFans, but for the most part, and I know the way Nicholas is implying, is for the sexual content on OnlyFans. So that's why I'm answering this. So you subscribe to someone on OnlyFans, you pay whatever they deem, whatever that person deems to be the cost of subscribing to them. So maybe it's $2.99 a month, $5.99, $9.99, up to some people charge like $19.99, maybe if they have a huge amount of content. And they post these things. And as long as you're subscribed to them, you get to see their content. And sometimes it's pictures of them. Sometimes it's videos. I think they communicate more closely with their fans sometimes. They'll like send private messages. I think sometimes you can pay for more, you know, private content. But it sort of empowers the person who's creating the content because they're the only one that you're interacting with. They're the only one creating the content. Now, there are some other OnlyFans page creators that are maybe like photographers or like people that produce content that involves them and other people. Yeah, so I would say, yes, it is safe to subscribe to that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what your concern is, Nicholas, whether it's, um, I don't know, maybe someone finding out that you're subscribing to this content um, or whether you think your like credit card information is going to get stolen. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a credit card. And if it gets stolen, you call your credit card company and you but it's it's an app. So like, you know, the the content creator doesn't see your credit card information. That all goes through the app monetarily. Yes, I think you're safe. And as far as you getting to remain private, I believe you're safe as long as you don't give your personal information to whoever you're subscribing to on OnlyFans. So yeah, I think it's safe. In my little research around pornography, one of the things I came across was in terms of the internet, it was pornography that figured out how to charge people in a private way. And they were years ahead of like Amazon or any sort of commercial industry of buying and selling on the internet. It was, it was porn. Oh, I totally believe that. There's so much money in the porn industry. So my guess is, uh, Nicholas, you're gonna be safe. And if anything, Nicholas, if you are going to subscribe to somebody's content or pay money for pornographic content, 
absolutely do it on OnlyFans because then the money you're spending goes to the person who's making it and they have the agency and they, they get to control what is posted. That's totally empowering the creator and the individual that you're actually looking at. Cool. It's interesting. In, in the way that YouTube put the power in the individual to create content, OnlyFans did that with porn, essentially. Hmm. Great question, Nicholas. Anonymous asks, Dear Gunkles, my boyfriend is the GBF for a pack of girls. Is that gay best friend? Yeah. Is that what that it, means? It took a moment for me. I was like, GBF, is that like great beef fucker? I don't know. Sorry. Ew. Whoa. It's, <laughs> hey, do not shut down the words that just come out of my mouth. It's great that you keep a beeper on you, Tommy. That's so 80s of you. <laughs> Do yeah. you have a date, per se? I do. I have a date with my body to give myself some insulin. <laughs> okay. So let's start the question again. You want to start yeah. it from the beginning? Um, Anonymous asks, Dear Gunkles, my boyfriend is the gay best friend for a pack of girls. They have been super tight for years and by now are particularly possessive of him. How do I respect their friendship, but also carve out space where we can be together as a gay couple? This is from Anonymous Lonely Boyfriend. All right, we're going to help you out, Anonymous. The first thing I'll say is, looks like your boyfriend is a hot commodity. Congratulations for snagging someone awesome who has friends that love them. That's a really good sign. If your friends can't get enough of your boyfriend, that's awesome. Here's what I would do. I would take him out on a classic date. By saying the word date, baked in is the fact that you're going to be one-on-one. -on -one. So you could even... Pick a day for a weekly date night. Make it a scheduled thing so everybody's on the same page that friends are not invited. And then the other, the flip side of that is make sure that your boyfriend gets alone time with his friends without you. That way, your boyfriend and his friends can get their fill of each other without having to compete with you. And then once they get their fill of each other, enter you. Time for date night. Do your thing. I guarantee you there's stuff that you can do to your boyfriend that those girls are not going to do. I like that advice, Ben. So there you go. Okay. I would say, what does space look like for you? You say, I want to carve out space where we can be together mm -hmm. as a gay couple. What does that look like? Um, and get real clear with that so that then you can bring it to your honey. You know, mm. the way Ben said, you know, uh, uh, let's say let's have a date, but maybe really your carving out time is, I just want us to cook a meal together Sunday morning. I want to have that oatmeal breakfast with you where we get to do nothing and just hang out. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a big conversation, especially if you're not there yet in, in your relationship to have that kind of conversation. Um, the other side of it is just make it happen. If you want to be one-on-one -on -one with your boyfriend, take him away for the weekend. Go on a little day trip and just be like, hey, I've got an adventure for us tomorrow. Pack a bag. And, you know, if you do the root of the conversation, it's going to take your relationship to a different place. And maybe you're ready for that. And maybe he's not ready for that. Or maybe you're actually not ready for that as well. Just know that it will take you to a new place. If you do that reveal and open up that sense of vulnerability of like, hey, this isn't quite working. I want a little bit more like this. Totally. And then the other thing to remember is 
make sure that your boyfriend gets that alone time with his friends. Yeah, I remember when I was with Steve, I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of close friends. So did this issue crop up between you and Steve, Tommy? Yes, it did. Yeah. Oh, and who brought it up? Oh, Steve. Steve would always be the one to bring it up. He was great that way. How did how did that conversation go? Um, I said, back off, bitch, because they're my homies. No, I remember saying, I'm not going to give them up as friends because they provide me things that you can't provide me. Did he want you to give them up as friends or did he just want some one-on-one time with you? He wanted to be my confidant. You know, certain of my friends could listen to things in a different way than he could. And not that he was less than or bad because of it. It was just like there were certain people who like who've known me for 30 years. And so I want to check in with them because they have a different take on it. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that's important it's, to remember. Anonymous. It is. Yeah. Because he needs those. He needs that pack of girls. Yeah. I'm wondering if you're feeling a little less than because of it. And I think Steve felt a little less than because I would turn to certain friends instead of him. Did he want you to like be reliant on him in some way? Was it just that you weren't willing to give up your friends as like people that you emotionally relied upon? It was both. It was Because that's not fair of him for to like want him to be the only pillar in your life. Yeah, no, he wasn't wanting that, but he did want to be the special person. And oh, I, I see that. I agree. You know, I want yeah. my partner to be the special person. And yeah. he wasn't feeling that. And I think one of the reasons is because I would go to my friends for all kinds of things. And he wanted me to come to him for those things. Yeah. I think the lesson in your story, Tommy, is that, is that you need your lover and your friends. You get different things from each one. And anonymous, make sure that he gets that time with his friends. It's probably just as important to him as it is to his friends. And he's probably being very generous and including you in that time. But make sure you step back sometimes and let him be with his friends and you be with yours. You're going to need that as well. And then when you have your solo time together, it'll be like you missed each other and you really earned it. And I'm going to, I'll ask the hard question, which is, is this like a bottom line? Would you break up over this? If you're not getting enough time with a person who you are falling in love with or dating or trying to fall in love with, are they open to having this conversation? Like I would say, if they're not open to having the conversation, leave. Yeah, I mean, if, if they're not open to having any conversation, leave. <laughs> yeah. You got to be able to communicate and talk openly, especially yeah. about your needs and your concerns. Yeah. But step one, first try taking them out on a date. Absolutely. Just like make it happen. Use your yeah. own agency in the relationship and just make it happen. Make it an adventure. Make it a surprise. Hey, pack your bag. Tomorrow, we're doing something. Just you and me. Good luck. Bye, Anonymous. Oh, and um, if it doesn't work out, Anonymous, I hear Nicholas is available. Or Brendan. <laughs> what if that just happens in the future is that like people come to ask your gay uncle to get set up? Maybe we could be that for people. You just made a face. No, I did. that's too big of a responsibility. All right. All right, Tommy. Um, as you know, our family is meeting at, at our family's beach house at the end of August. And as you also know, I am seeing someone. It's not official, but I'm seeing someone. And I've invited them to come spend a couple days with our family at the beach house. Uh, you just shook your head. Oh, my God. I did, Ben. You said it's not official, but you're doing this on a podcast where so far 3,500 people are listening to it. 
It's official. No, it's not. I, mean, I just mean it's not official like we're not boyfriends. We're not exclusive and we're not boyfriends. Oh, okay. That's what I mean by it's not official. Is that a generation gap thing? No, no, no. No. Mm-mm. So what's not official is that you are actually just primarily dating each other. We're not exclusive and yeah. we're not calling each other boyfriends. Okay, great. I think we are primarily dating each other. Oh, okay. At least I hope so. Hashtag COVID. Um, all right. I'm going to say again. Um, as you know, I'm seeing somebody and I've invited them to spend a couple days uh, with our family at the beach house. So the last time I brought someone home that I was dating was my college girlfriend who happened to wear these like badass, awesome, fashionable leather heel boots and these like tight jeans. And after that, <laughs> after she came to visit, my mom proceeded to uh, refer to her as the dominatrix. I, yeah. Anyway, I just feel like it didn't go well. So how can I help ensure this first meeting goes smoothly? Don't bring him. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you fucking with me? No. Me. I, I mean, that's a way to ensure that it goes well by not having him there. I mean, it's a lot of pressure on a family to like bring a new person in the mix. And it's also a lot of pressure on the new person to suddenly have to meet your family. There's also the pressure of how often do you all get together and you're together for a week. Yeah. It's like the, we're all coming together for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever exactly. the major holiday is. And it better be good. Yeah. Well, luckily this person that I'm dating is only joining for like the last couple days of us all being together. So it sort of takes a little bit of the pressure off that, like, you know, crucible of family time. I would say Zoom ahead of time oh like uh, with the family yeah have like everybody in meet in advance absolutely in a week or so oh, you know that's a really i mean good idea. we have gotten together to play games in the evening include him that's a really good idea that's why you ask your gay uncle just so there's no you're such a smart uncle tommy Ugh, that didn't even occur to me that takes takes all the pressure off of just like the big question mark my heart just got so big when you said that, Ben. Oh, my God. I cannot tell you. Oh. Yeah. You're so smart. You're so Aww. smart. Well. <laughs> it didn't occur to me at all. Uh, Anything else besides, like, bringing him on Zoom? Um. Yes. You know. I mean, you know me, Ben. I'm always going to be like, have a conversation ahead of time. With who, though? And what does that conversation look like? Oh, my God. Like? With, with the woman who created the dominatrix thing and the one who you're scared Manmuti? to introduce. Manmuti? And who will have the most comments out of everybody. Oh, God, she will. Your mother, my sister. Yeah. So yeah. have a conversation and just be like, please don't use the word dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just like make like a jar of words that aren't allowed? <laughs> the judgment jar? The conversation I have would be... This is what I'm scared of. I'm scared of that, that like you guys get too close in, in like in your questions and asking and I'm nervous that X, Y. Well, what are you nervous about, Ben? Um, that's a good question. Because I have to say, you know, referring to his dominatrix, I think that's kind of funny <laughs> because it of the is, boot she was. It is funny, you know, but. Did she do that the, in front of? Um, no, she didn't. But that was post. That was post, right? It was post, but like. My reaction to that is not that it was the word dominatrix and that it was like jabbing, poking fun at something. It was more just like, why can't you open your heart up to this new human who you're meeting and just like find the thing you like about them as opposed to the thing that you want to make fun of? Hmm. You could say to her, I'm scared that he's going to get reduced to a quick and small thing. And... Because we're in an early place of our relationship, I'm trying to figure out who he is. 
And if we, as a family, reduce him to whatever the major things that, are, that one can see or that he does, then it limits who he gets to be. Mm. And so I'm asking everybody in the family to be open so that he can present all of who he is and even parts of him who I don't even know. Mm. Yeah. So basically, like, hold your judgment. Yes, but to, but by saying hold your judgment, like if I hear that, I'm like, I'm not judgmental. You know, it's like my fire. Well, you calling judgmental. You looking at me, you pointing at me, I'm not judgmental. Yeah, and my head's going side to side. You know, it just is, yeah. So I think to refrain from saying don't be judgmental because that's the don't. Like ask for what you do want. What I want is for my family to like connect with this person as a human and not step back and just make assumptions or judgments. That's all I want. Yeah. I just want my family to lean in and be curious yeah. and open. That's all I want. And, you know, the other thing that a family does is they are instantly ticking off boxes to go, is this person worthy of my son or my brother or my nephew who I love and I want him to be with the best possible person? And, Aww, you know, Tommy. Well, you know, and Stop then, it. <laughs> well, it's true, you know, and and so I'm like, okay, I got a Zoom game and two days at the beach to try and figure out if this is the right person for Ben, you know. And the other thing is, is it's not my job to do that, right? That's your job. That's your yeah. job to figure out if, and it's not just your job, it's your job and this person to figure out if you guys are right for each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's so early. I mean, like like I said, we're not official. So it's more just like I want to, I want the fun of like bringing someone and like being like, hey, what does this do? What does this do if I throw this in the pot? Right. How does this go? It's just, it's like, a, it's like an experiment. And it's, you know, I have to say it is so hard for, for the LGBTQ community to do that. To bring people home. Yes, yes. Because the second a heterosexual person brings the opposite sexed person home... There's no hurdle that someone has to go over. Well, I don't think my family is going to create hurdles for this person. My family is very open and accepting. Yes, yes, they are. And would you kiss this person in front of your parents? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. I would. My mom met the last person that I dated for an extended period of time. I didn't bring them home to meet the entire family, but my mom visited Los Angeles and we were living together and that actually went really well. I remember when Christopher, I think in the previous episode, it was, uh, you know, Susie bringing Christopher around saying, this is Tommy and his boyfriend, Christopher. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we were lying on the couch together and like Christopher was like lying in my lap kind of and, and across my chest and it was an intimate moment, but it wasn't like a sexual moment. And mom was in there and we were all chatting and 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 at some point christopher left and she said to me it was so beautiful to see you being physical with christopher because i oh, because i so want you to have that intimacy and that physical connection with someone oh susie and she saw it she got to see it so it was a gift you know, it was a gift that I got to give her and it was a gift that she got to give me. And, you know, Christopher was a part of a gift. It was a huge gift fest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that gives me some hope, Tommy. Thank you. You know, Ben, maybe maybe take that idea of gift and just be like, this is a gift that my friend is giving our family by 
stepping into a vacation with a family, which can be a little scary and a little vulnerable. And I'd like us to be really open and receive that gift. Yeah. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Michael asks, if you could have a zoo that only consisted of hybrid made up animals, what would they be and where? Oh my God. It would be centaurs and it would be in a beautiful rolling hills, babbling brook sort of mountainous place. Centaurs are fucking hot. I would say unicorns. I want uh, I want a zoo of unicorns. I want a zoo. You want a zoonicorn? A zoonicorn, yeah. I want um, butterflies that are big enough that I could ride on. Oh, I fuck want yes, I should have said that. Dragonflies that I could like have a lounge chair on their tail and fly around on. You want Avatar, basically? Yeah, um, they're all flying. I want a zoo. <laughs> I want a zoo of dragons. And where mine needs to be on an island surrounded by water and you have to take a boat to get there. Why don't you just take a dragon? And on the way, there are mermaids. <laughs> I want to go to Tommy's zoo. <laughs> okay, Naomi, who is currently moving about in the West. What does that mean, Naomi? Are you like on the Oregon Trail? Naomi says, what is delightful about your life right now? The most delightful thing about my life right now is every time... I'm done having a conversation with Ben. He says, bye, Tommy. It is Ben. Oh, I was going to say this podcast is delightful for me, too. It just like hearing you say that it opens up my heart. I cannot tell you how much. Yeah. Bye, Tommy. Did Did your heart open up? Bye, Tommy. It did. It did. (laughs) I'm going to make you do a ringtone of bye, Tommy. Bye, Tommy. Bye, Tommy. Tommy. (laughs) You're going to like grow to hate it. You're going to be like, don't ever say that again. I know. Okay. Uh, This is Bart from Portland, Oregon. And my question is, should we address the great uncle as the Dowager uncle? And also, does the Dowager uncle dye his hair? And if so, what products does he recommend? Okay, I just looked up Dowager, and it means a dignified elderly woman. So yes, Tommy is the Dowager. Thank you. (laughs) I remember when I was in Buenos Aires, a friend there said, you speak Spanish like a really elegant old woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What a trait. I know. I was like, I'll I'll take that. (laughs) Que bueno. Whenever I try to do my like joke German, because I know a couple phrases in German, like I can say, du bist mein Schmetterling, which means you're my butterfly. And I can say, lederhosen mit Sahne und Kirschen, which means leather pants with whipped cream and a cherry. (laughs) And I can say, voiced mein beschissenes Handy, which means where the fuck is my cell phone? But every time I say any of my German phrases, the feedback I get is, you sound like the gayest German in the world. Like it like amplifies your your gayness when you speak in German. That's funny. Voiced mein beschissenes Handy, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Bart. Yes, I'm a dowager. And... (laughs) I don't dye my hair. And what products do you recommend? Like, how do you care for your hair to make it so mellifluous and bouncy? I might have learned this from Susie. Your mom. I think she was like doing grocery potatoes with olive oil or something. And she had, you know, was mixing it with her hands and her hands were covered with olive oil and she's like rubbed it on her face. And I was like, mom, that's so gross. 
She's like, no, it's not. It's olive oil. Just use it. Put it on your face. And so I started doing that, actually whooshing it through my hair. So literally, I'll be like making a hamburger and I don't mm-hmm. literally, you guys are going to get so grossed out by this, but it's, I don't wash my hands. And I just like whoosh it through my hair. Wait, so like the like beef fat in the hamburger, you just like run through your, Tommy. Yeah, you know, let's see. For You're dinner... going to get like mauled by a dog one day at the park who like eats your head. That's yep. so dangerous. There'll be a bear knocking like, on my door tonight. Yeah, um, like coconut oil, olive oil, yes, but bear juice. Animal oil, ugh. Oh yeah, I'm roasting a chicken and there's like that sort of chicken fat that's on there. Chicken fat's great for skin. And oh my God. I, you know, I know, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I am cutting like cucumbers or something and there's a little bit of cucumber juice or tomatoes and it just is a little you gooey. Put everything in your hair. Just like everything. you don't wash your hands, you just stick it in your hair. Yep. What about yep. during COVID? Like how viral is your hair right now? Oh, it's like Medusa. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Bart. Hi, my name's Maria. I'm calling from Oakland and I'm 22. I'm a lesbian. I recently been seeing a girl for a while and I need to have a conversation about whether or not I want to be serious with her. Um, and the answer is I don't. Um, <laughs> and she, she's a little bit older than me. She's 25. Um, and I'm deciding whether I should have this conversation before or after we have sex. I was her first woman that she's had sex with, so I'm just wondering um, when I should have this conversation with her. Before. Yeah, before. It'll probably feel better for everybody involved if the communication happens before something intimate like that. Yeah, and you get to be clear with what you want. You can be like, hey, I like you, and I think our sex is great, and I want to keep doing that, but it doesn't seem like I want to continue a relationship with you. A good way to say that you just want to enjoy the person in the moment is to say, I'm not ready to be exclusive. And that'll get the message across. And that's a really clear boundary because it means you're seeing somebody else as well, or you could see somebody else as well. And they have the freedom to do that too. Yep. Whatever you say, say it before. I just want to dive into why you should do it before you have sex and not after you have sex. The reason is if you bring up something a little more on the serious side about where you are in a relationship or something like that, you want to do it at a time when the person can get the sense that you've had time to reflect and really think about it. So you want to do it at the beginning of you hanging out with that person so that it's clear that it wasn't what happened immediately before that spurned you to say what you're about to say. So basically, don't do it after sex because you wouldn't want whoever you're dating to feel like, oh my God, did I do something weird in sex that made them not want to be with me? So just keeping in mind the context in which you're having this conversation. Yeah, I think that's a really good, really good point. Or even just like at the end of a date or something, let's say, let's say she takes you out and you go to dinner or something. And then suddenly at the end of the date, you say this, she could potentially feel she just didn't do a good job or she, you know, you guys didn't have enough fun on, on the date. And, and, and I don't think you want to give that impression. So uh, I would do it at the beginning. Yeah. And this is something that everybody has to do in every single relationship. It's yeah. going to be okay. I hope it goes great. Yes. Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood producer, Jackie. We hope you're enjoying Ask Your Gay Uncle. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332. Or you can email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. You can find us on Instagram at askyourgayuncle or Twitter at AYGU Podcast. A moment of culture. 
right, this moment of culture is about the death of Tchaikovsky, the Russian classical composer. Tommy's going to tell us about it. So for those of you who don't know who Tchaikovsky is, you probably have heard of the Nutcracker, the ballet. He wrote that. And it's probably his most well-known piece. Uh, but actually, it was one of his least favorite pieces he ever wrote. He was alive in the latter part of the 1800s. He's Russian. And he had just finished composing his sixth symphony, which he thought was his greatest work. And he was in St. Petersburg conducting it, doing the world premiere of it. And a few days after that, well, let me just back up. Tchaikovsky was gay. A lot of people don't know that he was gay. Spoiler alert! He would write his brother often about his homosexuality. His brother, Modeste, was also gay. Oh, wow. And his brother would write him and say, hey, kind of reel it in a little bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, because at the time in Russia, you would get whipped and jailed and basically sent off to Siberia. Tchaikovsky at the time was like the number one musician in Russia, and the Tsar adored him. And he was given a pension of 3,000 rubles a year. So he was really, and he was so famous that right after he would write a piece of music, it would get performed. So here he is in St. Petersburg, having written this symphony, rave reviews, and he gets a notice saying that he needs to come to a court of honor. And so this court of honor was created by a classmate of his, a guy named Nikolai Jacobi. So Jacobi and Tchaikovsky actually both went to the Imperial School of Law together. Tchaikovsky's father wanted him to be a civil servant. And so he went off to school for nine years and then just said, fuck it, I don't want to do this. And he probably would have said fuck it because his letters are, are filled with obscenities. <laughs> so here we are in St. Petersburg, and he has gotten a notice from Nikolai Jacobi, who has turned into a, um, like a senator and a prosecutor in the Russian parliament. And he has to come to this court of honor because Tchaikovsky has been accused of having sex with one of the Duke's nephews, which is probably true. How old do we, was this like a, how old was this nephew? That I don't know. I don't know. Nikolai Jacobi, this classmate of Tchaikovsky, has gotten a letter from this duke saying, put Tchaikovsky on trial, he needs to be dealt with, and the czar needs to know. And Nikolai Jacobi thought, no way, I'm not going to do that. Uh, one, it's going to bring down our school. Two, he's one of the most celebrated people in Russia. And three, the czar loves him, and it's going to put shame on the czar. Oh, so his classmate Jacobi was like on his side. Yes and no. Just wait what happens. So then he calls this court of honor with Tchaikovsky is there. His brother Modeste is there, who is also gay. And as many classmates as he could gather in this short amount of time. And it is in the living room of Jacobi, and Jacobi's wife is outside. Wait, this whole court thing happens in someone's living room? Yes. It doesn't happen in like a actual government building? He didn't want it to be a public thing because there would be all the shame associated with it. So it was this quote-unquote oh. court of honor in private. Wow. And so for five hours, they deliberated, and his wife said, Jacobi's wife says, five hours later, Tchaikovsky came out of the room, looked at her, was completely ashen, and ran out the door. 
And then her husband said, we have judged him and the judgment is he needs to commit suicide and it needs to be done in a way where no one knows that he is killing himself. Whoa. The theory is, is that he took arsenic. But what everybody said, what the paper said, what Modeste, his brother, said, and various doctors said that he died of cholera. And at that time, like now, there was a pandemic going on, and it was a cholera pandemic, and everybody boiled their water. So, like, how did the truth come out? Like, what are the, what are the holes in the story of cholera? Yeah, so the holes in the story are... If someone died of cholera at that time, their house was shut down and they were put in a zinc-lined coffin. He was not put in a coffin. There were 16 people around him when he died. And cholera is contagious. At that time, they thought it was contagious just by airborne. And there would not have been 16 people around him. And then he had an open casket funeral for two days and people were kissing him on the face. So like definitely not cholera. <laughs> definitely not cholera. It was cholera. I'm just going to give him a little peck on the cheek. Yeah. They like didn't even try to hide. Well, there were letters, letters of Modeste and one of the doctors and the doctor saying, this is what you need to say are the symptoms of cholera so that Modeste would be on the same page as this doctor. Wow. What a cover up what a cover up yeah so how long for how long in history did everybody think it actually was cholera guess my guess is that the truth would have had to have come out in the lifetime of somebody who was there you know what i mean so my guess was maybe like 40 years no it was not until the 80s 80s of the this, 1980s of, yeah 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 i mean there were, of course there were theories and stuff but it was more proved then so he died in 1893 10 days after he did this premiere of the Sixth Symphony. It was fast. Oh, wow. It was wow. fast. How uh, long after they had that like meeting, that private meeting, did he kill himself? It was a couple of days. Oh, shit. He didn't have like time to say bye to anybody. It was just like, no. you got to do yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it was, you know, it was a slow death. Arsenic is, from my understanding, it's a slowish death. But see, like, why wouldn't he... Why wouldn't he just like fall off a bridge and pretend it was an accident? Why not do something that's like uh, faster and less painful? So that it would look like cholera, that they could hide it as cholera. You know, one of the things, if it was known that he committed suicide, there would have been an investigation as to why, and it would have come out that he was a homosexual. And that the Duke's nephew was also a homosexual. And he would have been buried in a remote place, and he would have been wiped out of history. Jesus. His his music would have been... Oh, like forgotten. Swept under the rug. And oh, like all wow. of him would have been annihilated. Wow. So covering up his death with cholera was like ensuring his legacy could live on by hiding yes. it. And my guess is wow. that was a part of the deliberation, that five-hour deliberation. So he was like, don't burn my music. God, that's so tragic. That's like a movie. Oh, yes. There's a composer called Rimsky-Korsakov, who was a contemporary of his. And, Rimsky. <laughs> and <laughs> and Rimsky-Korsakov uh, wrote, How strange Tchaikovsky died from cholera, but access to his body was completely unobstructed. It was fishy. So there were people who knew. And there were his friends who knew that he was gay, but they weren't going to say anything because wow. all of his music would have been um, gotten rid of. Wow. 
and still in Russia, some people say that he wasn't gay. Whereas, you know, in his letters, he talks about it. Yeah, Russia's still pretty close-minded about homosexuality. There's an amazing website that I suggest everybody go visit, and it's a little dark. I'm just telling you that right now. It's called humandignitytrust.org. Oh, we'll put it in the um, description. We'll include a link. um, What they do is they have all the jurisdictions, countries around the world that still criminalize sex between men and sex between women. And the punishment ranges from one year in jail to life imprisonment. And in 12 of those countries, they impose the death penalty, six of which are still doing it today. There are six countries in this world that are still killing people because they are gay. Wow. And if you're transgendered, they're still considered gay and they are held to um, laws of homosexuals. Gosh, it just makes me feel so fortunate to be in an incredibly open-minded city like L.A. Yeah. Living in 2020, you know? Right. You know, and praise this woman who was the wife who couldn't go to her death with this information. And she told somebody and they couldn't go to their death with the information. And that's how it um, all got out. That's amazing. What a story. Yes. All right, Hollywood, your move. Yeah. Who would you want to play Tchaikovsky in the story? Who would you cast? Me. Yeah. I'm 57. No, I'm not. I'm 59. I'm surprised you haven't said it yet, Ben. How old am I? Like 72. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I would cast... Who's the guy that played Lincoln? I feel like he'd actually be a really good Tchaikovsky. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis would be great. He's such a good actor. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. He has that like tortured classical musician vibe. Yeah. I want to play the Duke's nephew. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I can't play Tchaikovsky. No, you can't. No, you can't. What do you mean? No, that's French. What do you mean? I did not have sex with Tchaikovsky. I didn't do it, I swear. So check out his music, everybody. And the one to listen to is the Sixth Symphony. The last movement, it is eight minutes that will basically rip your heart out. Wow. It is so gorgeous and so sad. So listen to that when you need to have a cry. Um, We're going to end this episode with a question for you guys. We want to know, what is a moment in queer culture that you guys would like to hear told by your uncles Ben and Tommy? What is maybe a lesser known moment in culture or a moment that is misunderstood that you think we should share with everybody? And send us your questions too, in particular via voicemail. We like those. We like hearing your sultry voices. Yeah. And hey, lastly, I need to correct two mistakes Oh, yeah. Um, that one of our listeners caught. So I said that the graffiti artist with, was Keith Harding. It's not. It was Herring, Keith Herring. Um, my apologies, Keith. And Keith passed away in 1990. Also, I think um, we should say that the guy that directed... Sh- Short Bus. Short Bus? Yep. His name is John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. Um, and to our uh, our secret fact-checking listener, thank you so much. We love the work you're doing. We're a big fan. And thank you for sending us all the things we get wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great week. Bye, Tommy. Bye, Ben. <laughs> <laughs>
Ask Your Gay Uncle is created by Tom Trust and Ben Palacios, with production support by me, Jackie Anders. Album artwork by Seth Shellhouse. Theme song and musical interludes by Ben Palacios and Dan Reuter. Special thanks to Matt Marr, the University of Texas at Austin QT Voices, and everyone who sent us questions. If you'd like to ask a question for Tommy and Ben to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 512-981-7332 or email ask at askyourgayuncle.com. Find us on Facebook at Ask Your Gay Uncle Podcast. More information at askyourgayuncle.com.